0: Can you please open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 6? Nehemiah chapter 6, and we are going to consider the first 14 verses this evening. In Nehemiah chapter 6 commenced reading in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. They thought to do me mischief, and I sent messages unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease, whilst I leave it and come down to you? Yet they sent unto me four times after this sort, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sanballat his servant, unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand, wherein was written, It is reported among the heathen and Gashmu, saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the walls, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. Thou hast also appointed prophets to preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king, according to these words. Come now, therefore, and let us take counsel together. Then I sent unto him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest, but thou faintest them out of thine own heart. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from their work, that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Afterwards I came unto the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabil, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin and that they might have matter for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sambalat according to these their works and on the prophetess, Noadiah and the rest of the prophets that they would have put me in fear. Amen. Uh, The title for the lesson uh, tonight is Helping Our Leaders. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I do thank you uh, for another glorious day you've given to us. Father, I, I thank you for the sun that's shining today, uh, for the lovely autumn day that you uh, you have given to us. Father, I, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you uh, for your mercy and your grace that you lavish upon us uh, each and every day. Uh, Father, I do thank you that um, you have spoken. We have the completed canon of Scripture before us. Uh, Father, we know that you know, all Scripture is inspired. You know, it is all relevant, and Lord, and, and it speaks uh, to us. You know, it, it is alive. It is an active, an active book. And Father, I, I do pray tonight uh, that Your Word would have its way within our lives. I ask in Jesus' name, for His sake. Amen. Amen. I think it's very important as we read and study the Scriptures. Uh, Particularly when we spend time in the Old Testament to remember that the Bible is one story. It's not a collection put together of many different individual stories. But rather the stories found within are to be thought as chapters in the one story. And of course the Bible can be summed up in one phrase, the redemption of mankind. The Bible is an unfolding story of redemption. And the main character in both the Old and the New Testament is Jesus Christ. It's all about Him redeeming mankind. And this is important to keep in our minds when we study through the book of Nehemiah. We must realize how it fits into redemptive history. What does this unfolding narrative mean in the big story why does this rebuilding matter surely this wasn't the only building project in the ancient world at this time and yet this is recorded and also why had it endured so much opposition why did rebuilding these walls generate so much hate The answer to these questions is that since the fall, Satan has strived to stop the story of redemption, to stop the one who would redeem. And this is exactly what is happening before us. Satan does not want a strong Jerusalem, for it was here where the temple was, where God's Shekinah glory had dwelt, and it was here where redemption would be accomplished on Calvary. No, he also did not want a strong Jewish people, for he knew it was through that line Messiah would come. And hence he strived to ruthlessly snuff it out. And that is why this rebuilding work before us has faced so much opposition. It is Satan at work using his wicked minions to try and stop the redemption story. Chapter 4. And chapter 5 have all been about opposition. And so is chapter 6. So tonight we're going to devote our time considering how it was that Satan through his depraved cronies tried to stop one last time this work before it was completed. And I want to do this under three headings, which are the change of approach, the character of the attack, and the challenge of... To assist. So, firstly, I'll, I want to consider the change of approach. As Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem were in, we see their names in, in verse one. You know, the unholy trinity, one of my Bible college lecturers called them. And you know, they have reached a now or never moments. You know, they have tried all of their tricks from their putrid playbook to stop this work scorn and ridicule, threats of violence, getting men on the inside, and yet all of their ploys had failed. The walls continued on. In fact, in verse 1, we are told that the walls were now complete. Significant progress had been made. Last we heard, the walls were half done. But now all that remained to do were the doors on the gates. The installing of these doors was still a significant task. There were ten different gates, and at each gate there were typically two doors. These were most commonly constructed out of timber, but of course this posed a problem for they were susceptible to fire. So within the construction, you know, steel like brass and iron were used, you know, to help with this problem. And in some cases, solid metal or solid stone doors were installed. Since the doors were all that was left to do, it seemed for the enemy that all of their efforts to halt this work had been completely useless. And yet this doesn't mean that they gave up. And that is a lesson for you and I. You know, in the spiritual battle that we are in, you know, Satan won't give up when we experience a victory. You know, he will come back with a different approach. And that is seen before us. You know, all of the previous opposition had been directed at the entire construction team as a corporate entity. But now the attack is aimed just at Nehemiah. That is the change in chapter 6. They knew that he was the key. That he was the glue holding all of this together. And if he could be undermined or if he could be disposed of, it would mean inevitable victory. And hence the whole force of attack is is pointed straight at him. He is firmly in the crosshairs. You know, you can almost picture... All of the wicked ones gathered together planning this attack. Sam Ballot steps up to the front and he reminds his supporters that this is their last chance. It's now or never. He reminds them that their previous plays have failed. But there is still something that they had not tried. It was now time to get personal. Stop targeting the whole group. But go straight for the jugular. Get Nehemiah. You get him, you get the lot's. So we need to disrupt, discredit, and ultimately destroy this leader. And if we can do that, the rest will crumble. And Nehemiah must be tired, he must be fatigued, so let's get him. For if we don't, Jerusalem will be strong, and that spells disaster for us. Let's go and get him. And then there's a, a giant depraved roar, and the enthusiasm is evident as they depart to implement the wicked plans to destroy this leader. But, but how would they do this? How would they try and defeat Nehemiah? Well, secondly, let's consider the character of the attack. You know, many of Satan's favorite weapons had been dispatched and yet they had had very little impact. So it was time to release some special weapons designed directly to defeat the individual leader. Those three attacks were deployed. And we would do well to pay close attention. Remember the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And the great serpent is still releasing these same attacks. The first attack was what I have called the subtle attack. This is seen in the first four verses. You know, as Nehemiah was busy at work... You know, preparing for the gates to be installed. You know, perhaps they were setting up the scaffolding or fixing the doors to the walls or maybe they were up to the lock stage. I wonder when, what went through his mind when yet another message came from the unholy trinity. You, know, you can imagine him looking around with this piercing look as the messages yell out, Nehemiah, we have a message for you. you know, I wonder what his response was. Now, what threats are you going to make this time? Can't you just leave us alone? And then their message is pronounced. And I must have taken him backwards somewhat. It wasn't a threat, but rather it was a request to have a meeting. Sembalah wanted Nehemiah to come to the plain of Ono, which is believed to be halfway between Jerusalem and Samaria. And there they would make plans as to how they could get along. You know, they now offered cooperation rather than conflicts. You know, it's the old saying, they couldn't beat them, so why not join them? You know, One writer that I read describes this offer like a concession speech in politics. And he says this, Nehemiah, it is no use pretending that we have not been opposed to your project. We have been. No, it has not been in our best interests. We have had our differences over it. But you have succeeded in spite of us. And now there is no use to carry out our opposition. For better or worse, we are going to have to live together. You as the governor of Jerusalem, and we as the governors of our provinces. So let's be friends what we need is a summit conference. Why don't we meet on the plain of Ono and there we can sort everything out. And you know, on the surface, this may have sounded somewhat appealing. If they could arrange some sort of treaty. Surely this would make life easier. And yet Nehemiah would not have a bar of it. He, he said, no. And that presents the question, what was wrong with this offer? Well, the issue for Nehemiah, as you can see in verse 3, was the fact that the work was not yet finished. It was close, but it wasn't finished. And this trip would take him away from the project. He would lose a couple of days. He did not want to get distracted from performing the task at hand. He didn't want to waste any time. And the refusal reveals his priorities and his great single-minded concentration. And we also see the great discernment that Nehemiah possessed. At the end of verse 2, he says, but they thought to do me mischief. Now, this was a ploy to draw him away from the city and to take his life. Now, they probably already had a story concocted. You know, people of Jerusalem, we are sorry to inform you, your beloved leader ne- Nehemiah has tragically lost his life. You know, he was returning and this group of robbers you know, mauled him and, and, and he died. Maybe they had that prepared. But Nehemiah saw straight through this offer. He wouldn't have anything to do with it. And he politely declined. It's interesting that despite knowing their intentions, he was still very courteous and not wanting to stir up any unnecessary trouble. You know, he practiced the New Testament principle, speaking the truth in love, and his response was seasoned with grace. It's interesting within verse four that we are told they tried four times. So they were very persistent. And yet Nehemiah remained steadfast. For if it was wrong the first time, it was still wrong the next three times. And hence he refused. This particular attack directed by Satan was a subtle one. And it came in the presence of friendship and distraction. Two attacks that Satan loves to employ in the lives of Christians today. Now, Satan loves to get believers caught with the bait of worldliness, of befriending this world system, and to fall in love with the way of this world, to allow the world to have a great influence on our lives, to allow its philosophies to infiltrate our hearts as individuals and as churches. Now This always begins Subtle, subtly, Sorry, didn't say that right, but it always causes great damage. You know, it leads to compromise, it leads to nothing good. And that is why James 4.4 4 says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? You know, we can't have both. We can't have this friendship with the world and friendship with God. It's one or the other. And yet Satan does such a wonderful job of weaving into our hearts and into our churches worldly ideas, goals and philosophies. You now how easy it is to be driven by money. You now how easy it is to adopt worldly philosophies in parenting that are, you know, completely contrary to scripture. You know, how easy it is to adopt moral standards that our societies say are okay, but the scriptures clearly say are not. You know, we live in a time, perhaps more than any other, where Christians and the church has been infiltrated by the world. Satan has succeeded. You know, Christians are flocking to the plain of Ono with Sambalats. You know, may we be wary of this, to not love this world and this attack from satan also includes distraction you know, he wants to draw nehemiah away from that which he ought to be doing and i know this is a real big issue in my life you know there are a thousand and one things most of us could be doing and it's very easy to get caught up doing things that might not necessarily be wrong but they are distracting us from doing the most important things now, isn't it amazing what can come up in our lives that keeps us from reading our Bibles, from praying and sharing the gospel if we are not careful? then may we be alert and vigilant and make sure that we do not get distracted and be more like Nehemiah who kept his priorities right. So this was Satan's subtle attack. Now, striving to get Nehemiah to be friendly towards the enemy. So when this failed, Satan went to his next play, which also reveals one of his chief characteristics, and that is the attack of slander. Nehemiah was a lucky man. He got another letter, and yet this time the tone within it had changed dramatically. It was no longer nice, but nasty. The facade of friendship was now dropped. In verse 5, we are informed that this was an open letter. So letters to officials such as Nehemiah would be rolled up and they would be secured with an official seal. And only those with authority could open it and read it. And yet this particular letter had been read by everyone it had came into contact with. And you could imagine people swarming like vultures when they heard there was an open letter with some hot gossip about someone famous. And no doubt these details would have spread far and wide. You know, this letter reported that Nehemiah intended to fortify Jerusalem so he could be crowned as king. You know, these people were planning a rebellion. And they were going to restore the city to the glory days. And even worse, Nehemiah had appointed false prophets to spread the word that there was a king in Judah. And the threat is put to Nehemiah, come and meet with us, or this letter is going back to Persia. And obviously that would have severe ramifications for Nehemiah. If you remember in the book of Ezra, this very play was... Used, You know, when Nehemiah heard about this, it must have infuriated him. This was all false. It was lie upon lie. And yet notice how he responds. No, he doesn't yell and scream and jump up and down, get all defensive. Rather, he states it isn't true. You made this up. He prayed, asked God to help him and he went back to work. Isn't that a wonderful example in how to deal with slander? Deny it, pray about it, continue on. You know, Satan is known as the great slanderer and he continues today. You know, he loves to slander God's people, drag people's names through the mud, destroy reputations. And as he was trying to do with Nehemiah, strike fear into people's hearts so they will stop living for God. That is the point of slander. So how are we to deal with slander when we stumble across it, whether it be about us or about someone else? So number one, we need to make sure it isn't true. So we going to strive to make sure that there is nothing within our lives that gives the devil the chance to drag our name and with it the name of Christ through the mud. Now, unfortunately, Satan doesn't have to make up lies, lies rather for many of us because we've already committed slanderous behaviour. May we be aware of that? We need to be diligent to maintain clear consciences and clean characters. One author said, "If we take care of our character, God will take care of our reputation." You know, make sure Satan has to tell lies. Number two. What do we do if we hear about slander? Don't spread it. Don't spread rumors. You know, much of Satan's damage is spread by the uncontrolled tongue. So may we not be guilty of spreading slanderous rumors, for when they are spread, the subject gets hurt. You know, even if the rumor is later proven false, the victim still inevitably suffers immensely. So the answer is, don't spread it. And number three, what are we to do when we are the victims of slander? Seek God's help. You know, being slandered is not fun. and No one enjoys being unfairly run down or having stories concocted about them. But when this happens, you know, be like Nehemiah. Deny it, pray to God, ask for his help and continue on. But as one author noted that I think is helpful, true strength to continue on when one is being battered comes from our relationship with God. And it is this that we must remember. And he says this, and this quote's in your notes. says, Personal security comes from our relationship to the three persons of the Godhead. Our relationship to God the Father gives us a sense of belonging. We are members of his family and are secure in our father-child relationship. Our union with Christ the Son gives us a sense of worth. God loved us so much that he sent his Son to die for our sins. With our redemption accomplished, God has made us joint heirs with Christ. This shows our value. So we find our belonging and our value in our relationship with God, not with man. And he says, finally, the Holy Spirit's indwelling empowers us. You know, We are competent for every task. And he says, a person whose life is anchored on these foundational relationships will be able to withstand against all hostile attacks. So that was the subtle attack, the slander attack. And with both of these failing, the third attack is released, and that is the sin attack. Attack. In verse 10, Nehemiah has a meeting with Shemaiah. This man is shut up in his house. And there is much ambiguity as to why this is the case. But perhaps he was ritually defiled, or he was fearing for his own life, or maybe he was a prophetic symbol. Now, this man was most probably a priest who had access to the temple, and he had a very special message for Nehemiah. You know, the English text doesn't convey this, but it is believed that this message was dressed up as an oracle from God. But Nehemiah, I have a word from the Lord for you. People are coming to kill you. There's an assassination in the pipeline. And this would have been very believable for Nehemiah. He knew people hated him, wanted him dead. And in light of the supposed plot to assassinate, Shemiah offers to hide Nehemiah in the temple. He proposed to go into the holy place, shut the doors, and there the life of Nehemiah could be spared from the bloodthirsty villains. On the surface, this seems to be quite a nice gesture. As though this man, Shemaiah, was actually a loyal supporter. He actually cared and wanted to protect Nehemiah. And yet this offer is instantly rejected. But you know, there is no way Nehemiah was going to get involved. You know, he declares in verse 11, it's nearly as though he's offended. You know, how would it look to the people if I fled? And then he says, and also being as I am... I will not go into the temple to save my life. Now, what, what did he mean by that? You know, being as I am. Well, what he is declaring is that he is not a priest. He is not a Levite. And hence it was forbidden in God's law for he to do what had been proposed. He couldn't go there. Numbers 18 verse 7 says, Therefore thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar, and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift, and the stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. Oh, the instruction was clear. It was forbidden for Nehemiah to approach this part of the temple. And I'm sure he was familiar with the story of King Uzziah who had done this thing and he had been struck down with leprosy. Now Nehemiah knew the scriptures and this was something that he could not do. For as he declares in verse 13, it would have been sin. Now if Nehemiah hearkened to this instruction, he would have either been struck dead by God or he would have publicly and openly sinned and discredited himself, and given the enemy something to slander both he and his God with. This would have completely destroyed the testimony and the credibility of the man. Now, Nehemiah once again quickly sees straight through this supposed word from God, it's just another setup. You know, these people had been paid off by the wicked satanic cronies for a word from God would never instruct him to sin. And that's an important lesson. There is never an excuse to sin. You know, even at this time, Nehemiah would not do that which was wrong even if it would save his life. You know, had of Nehemiah carried out the proposed offer, he would have lost his honour and credibility among his people. He would have compromised severely and it would have jeopardised his whole mission. And that was the motive behind the attack. They were trying to destroy the credibility of the man. And my friends, Satan still attacks in this very way. Though striving to get Christians and churches to be involved in sin for that ruins credibility and it drags the name of our Saviour through the mud. It's so easy to destroy our testimony, and that is what Satan wants. But for our witness to be tarnished, our authenticity to be challenged, and our credibility to be questioned. And all these things will happen if we get ensnared in public sin. You know, how many churches have been ruined, and how many Christians have no effect because their testimony is in tatters? You know, may we be alert. And attentive, the devil is striving to snare us in sin. You know, get us to ruin everything. But may we walk in the Spirit so we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The power that is in us, the power of the Spirit, is greater than the power of this world. We don't have to sin. May we be sober, may we be vigilant, and not become engrossed in gross sin, for that will wreck everything our testimony and effectivity for Christ. The subtle attack, the slander attack and the sin attack. These were the weapons released on Nehemiah and they will be weapons released on us as we strive to live for Christ. May we be aware of these attacks and may we, with the help of Christ, overcome them and continue to live for him In this fallen world. You know, we are all in a spiritual battle. The scriptures make that clear. And my friends, Satan takes particular delight in targeting leaders and influential figures within the church. Just like he did with Nehemiah. And this leads me to the final point. My shortest point. The challenge to assist you know i don't want to diminish the fact that we are all in a spiritual warfare for we are and yet before us it is the leader it is nehemiah who is on the receiving end of special attention and to this day satan works hard attacking leaders within the church he works hard attacking leaders within our church For if a leader succumbs or falls, the damage it causes is devastating, both within the church and outside the church. As one commentator said, it is obvious that disgracing or distracting the leader is an excellent way of daunting, holding back or otherwise sidelining the followers. A church leader stumbling has a huge effect on those he is leading. But more than this, it damages the cause of Christ within the entire community. The credibility of everything that the man has ever said or done is questioned. And hence, Satan scores greatly when the leader disgraces himself in the ministry. And hence, this evening... You know, I want to exhort and encourage you to pray consistently and constantly for your church leadership. For we certainly need it. You know, Satan, through his wicked minions, attack us. You know, the three attacks that were unleashed on Nehemiah are very real in our daily ministries. But you know, the temptation to be worldly, to compromise the standard, the attack of distraction, you know, it's very easy to not be a wise steward of time and energy. No verbal slander, nasty things get directed at church leadership. The issue of sin ruining our ministry is a very real threat. Now, all the threats that Nehemiah faced plus countless others are very real for leaders in ministry. You know, and hence we ask that you pray. You know, pray that we would remain faithful to the word. That we would be instant in season and out of season. That we would walk close with the Lord. That each and every day we would be spending time in our own personal devotions. You know That preaching and teaching would not just become a mere academic exercise. That we would maintain pure and holy character along with a clear conscience. You know, that the Lord would protect us from the evil one. That he would protect and encourage our families as we seek to serve the Lord. You know, Satan is out to get church leaders, so beloved, please pray for us. You know, the Apostle Paul in many of his epistles requested prayer. Romans 15:30, Ephesians 6:19, Colossians 4, 3 and 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, 2 Thessalonians 3:1. And this evening I'd like to make the same request. Brethren of Lismore Bible Church, please pray for your pastors, for your elders and your deacons. For this will aid us greatly as we strive to serve Jesus Christ and as we strive to serve you. And it will aid us to not become another member of that long list of ministry leaders who have been defeated and ruined by Satan. Please help us stay off that list by praying earnestly. Amen.